Just a reminder, everyone, the topics covered in this podcast are general in nature. They haven't taken into account your personal circumstances, and it's important to seek personal financial advice if you want to address any of the subject matter. Hello, welcome to the Money Men podcast of the 17th of November 2023, almost Christmas. Uh, that's I'm, crazy. I'm Steve, one of the Money Men, and I'm mm-hmm. here with Luke, the other Money Man. How are you, Luke? Very, very, uh, very well, Steve. How that's are you? Good, good. How are you going back into the swing of things, well, um, back back into work and podcasting? Yeah, made and it back into work and podcasting. This is sort of the proper, not the, the proper Money Men fortnight and review um, episode since mm. coming back from paternity leave and... Mate, I'm going on annual leave again next week. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. where are you off to? Crescent Head. Crescent Head. Yep. Uh, so you nice can... part of the world. And I, I, you did tell me that you're going to be golfing at somewhere special while you're up up that I, way. I will be. Yeah, yeah. at Bonville. I'm quite, um, quite envious of that. That's that's okay. You you had an opportunity to join, and, did, and but, um, you unfortunately, know. Uh, work and life got in the way. <laughs> <laughs> so that's right. As it often does with golf. <laughs> another time. Another time. Um, okay, so what have the markets done over the past fortnightly? Yeah, so all uh, trending up, so all ordinary, so Australian share market up 2.5%. Mm-hmm. Um, over in the United States, the S&P 500 up 4.4% for the fortnight. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Dow Jones, also over in the USA, up 3.2% for the fortnight. You know, it was only... <laughs> few weeks ago that I was having conversations with clients who were worried and you know, some of them were looking to pull their money out of, mm. um, of share exposure and that sort of thing and then you know four nine later and um, and uh, you know we've had that um, little bit of a recovery but that's the, that, that's short-term volatility yeah. in markets isn't it yeah we, we um we laugh, don't we? Because we say, "Oh, well, what if you multiply that four point four percent by twenty six, then mm-hmm. you get a massive annualised return?" We mm-hmm. always do that when the markets are positive. We don't quite often do it when it's negative. But that's right. It, 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 yeah, if the market's down for a day one uh, percent, then uh, that's you know, a negative three hundred and sixty-five percent annualised return. Yes. It goes the other way too. But yeah, no, yeah, yeah. We, we say it every episode, um, we don't know why we actually talk about the fortnightly um, no. markets, but um, what it does show us and, and is that there's volatility in, in the short term. You yeah. know, that shows us every fortnight that there's been a change, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and, um, and that's and exactly that's what right. you expect short term in markets. It's the, a long game. The the um you know, in the backdrop there is is a bit of, you know, uh, sort of rumblings that interest rate lifting cycles are, are coming to the end. Um, look, they probably are, but but it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility for them to increase mm. um, more. You know, you look at it at, a, at you know the Reserve Bank on Melbourne Cup increased point two five percent. So still still areas that are strong and pockets that are strong in the economy that you know is obviously influencing inflation. Things like property. Yeah, Resi- um, residential property. How's that going? Well, I'm going to refer everyone to last fortnight's um, mm. catch up with Andrew Kaprilian from Career Property, but mm. you know he gave us some good insight um, nationally and in and you know around the local markets as to what property's doing. Again, you know similar story as as it quite often is. His pockets are really strong, um, you know, uh, property and yeah. you know depending on suburb and price range. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean it sort of seems to be. Seems, seems to be ticking along um, yeah. reasonably well, yeah. you know, and, and it kind of makes sense. Like people, people, uh, you know, I'm going to talk 
about the Newcastle Lake Quarry area. It's a pretty good area to live. Um, people are going to prioritise housing. Mm. Um, so, you know, if they're going to spend somewhere, they're going to probably spend in housing. Mm. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it does make sense that, you know, there hasn't been this crash that some people might have been predicting. Mm. Um, even myself, I think I would, would have expected a bit, of, bit more of a correction, but mm. it shows economics... Uh, is is almost no, can quite often be nothing to do with the numbers. Mm. It's quite often very much behavioural. Yep. So you know, it's down to the human being and their responses. Mm. Um, you know, so yeah, just 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 worth highlighting. Yeah. Well, long term, interestingly, you know, returns, you know, capital returns on property are fairly similar to you know a diversified share portfolio. Um, you know, we, we oh, I think we were talking to <laughs> to. I'd, I'd, I'd disagree with you a little bit on that, but... Yeah, well, the, yeah, the, the price... You know, we, were, we were talking to a client um, earlier in the week who's held a property in a large regional town. Yeah, yeah. And it's doubled in value yeah. over 15 it, years, which it, is, you know, about right, about what happens, you know. Well, well I mean, well, divide yeah. that in the rule of 72 and work, work, yeah, we'll work yeah, it out. But, yeah. you know, the... I, I agree with you, Steve. Yeah, that. But uh, but on another layer, you know, what is not obvious around that is ownership costs that need oh. to really come out of the out of the net return. So yeah, I, I agree with you. So you can look at the two and go, they have performed, you know, reasonably similar. Um, but that but there are a lot of ownership costs that come with with property. Yeah. So and, and you know, but along with that, there's some tax breaks that come come with it as well. The, the, so, there's yeah, there's, there's yeah. tax breaks. There's the ability to borrow. Um, yeah. so, so there's compounding. So my point on property yeah. is that it's a long game. Too, oh, for, you know, it's, you know, uh, if absolutely. You, if you let it, if you hold it and let it do its yep. job, then it will um, play a part in in wealth creation or you know whatever you want to call it. As as we often say, it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't want to get deep into a conversation. That's all right. Because we, we're con- <laughs> we're conscious of time, and yeah. and 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 we're not warring each other. We're no, going to war not. some other people today in um in this podcast. So before we war, before we war, what about um, a couple of wins? So tell me, have you did you have a a win for the fortnight? Yeah, I mean, just going uh, as I do, I go back through the calendar and just sort of see who I've been meeting um, over the fortnight. Um, so I was really lucky to help a new client that's come on board um, retire. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Um, you know, we do it as our day jobs and sometimes you can become a little bit, I don't want to say insensitive to it, but I guess it becomes so regular that you're a bit, um, you know, you don't realise how you might have helped someone. Mm-hmm. Um, so help, help, help this um, new client that's come on board retire and understand that they could retire um, and help also help them um, understand their eligibility to certain social security benefits so that they weren't otherwise receiving. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not receiving those right at the moment, but we've certainly got the wheels in the motion to get them some entitlements specifically around carers' payments mm-hmm. and pension, uh, sorry, carers' payments and allowances. Okay. Um for the work that they're doing with a relative um, in helping them. And previously, this client actually just been um, cash flow funding this themselves. So, you know, it's timed nicely with retirement that, you know, we've been able to show them that there's some extra income on the table through some social security payments that they are absolutely entitled to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually going to allow them to preserve their superannuation capital for a bit longer. So, end, end of the day, they get to retain the lifestyle they're used to. 
um, and they get to keep more of their money throughout retirement. So mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, a good thing. And it's, you know, so as I was alluding to earlier, it's something that we just sort of do every day. Mm. Um, and so you can become a little bit insensitive. Um, well, you, you sometimes just forget about the importance. Yeah, you forget the about that. That's probably a much better way of putting it. the value that you provided. Yeah, yeah, the value. Yeah, 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 sorry. You you forget, but that's a great way of putting it. You 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 sometimes don't realise the value that you've actually provided mm-hmm. um, for and someone. And with retirement planning, a lot of it is not the numbers, it's the um, enablement of the client, enabling them and helping them understand that they're going to be okay. There is a way, because there's a lot of fear there um, you know, mm. when people are entering retirement. There, there is. Good win. Um, my win was not the Melbourne Cup. <laughs> I, I have a bet once a year. It's usually on the Mel- well, it is on the Melbourne Cup, and I always lose. So... <laughs> You, did, well, you know, you, that's you lost on the cup, uh, but you lo- you won on another race. I bet one race out of I think I, I bet on about five or six <laughs> oh, races. Okay. Yeah, All right. yeah, so, but not not huge sums of money. <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a gambler. Um, okay, I, my win was um, I had had a review or progress meeting with um, some clients a week or so ago, mm-hmm. and um, there's a little bit. Around me a little bit of the share market, short-term volatility, you know, long-term, you know, long-term returns, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, these lovely clients of mine, who I'm guessing I don't know exactly, I should have looked, but um, guessing I've been working with them, with them for about 15 or 16 years, and um, when I first met these people, um, the husband was was very closed and and basically very wary. Um, about inviting this uh, financial planner um, mm-hmm. into his life mm-hmm. um, to, to talk about money. So, you know, he was very analytical, very focused on, you know, what could be done short-term yep. around yep. performance and, and investment returns. Um, very nice guy, but very guarded. Um, and it took a little while for us to sort of get going. Um, you know, he had some insurance policies and things and we you know, just tweaked around with, with some of that. Mm-hmm. But then over the years, um, so this couple was in their probably their mid-40s, with a young, very young family when I first met them. Um, well, when I say very young, the kids might have been 10. Yep. Um, and But over the years, uh, we looked and we realised that, you know, we started to get them to use their surplus cash flow, you know, so to do some smart things mm-hmm. around investing, super, non-super investment, shares, etc. Diversification, you know, so we got them going down the path of those things that I just said and then um, there became an opportunity with enough time up their sleeve to have some diversification into a direct residential property investment. Yep, yep. Um, and... Then work through a redundancy uh, situation. We've been I've been there and helped them support them through some hard times at work where there were some clashes with management and some issues there, and um, giving some direction and some sense around the fact that there are other options. Yep. Um, then um, advice around. Um, or pro- probably more support around him starting a new business off the back mm-hmm, of redundancy. Mm-hmm. Um, to the extent now that there's a very trusting relationship, obviously, um, they're still yep. with me after mm-hmm. 15 or 16 mm-hmm. years. Um, their overall asset position is built really nicely without 
a massive amount of active management. So we've just had them invested and mm-hmm. we've had them using their cash flow yep. to do smart things. Letting time do a lot of the hard work. They do a letting, lot of the hard letting work. discipline do a lot of the hard work. Hmm. So the point where um, he's nearly 60 and she's a little bit younger than that. And if they really wanted to right now, mm-hmm. they could pack up and fully retire yep. and um, have a very comfortable lifestyle. Yep. So that, that was my win. It just reminded me again of the value that a long-term you know, relationship with uh, a client um, can, can have. So yep. um, yeah, so there you go. There's a win, yeah, long-term win, that one. Um, yeah, it's a, and, and it also highlights, Dave, some of the value adds that you know a skilled financial planner business owner can add to some of our clients lives Mm, um, or prospective clients lives and that is perspective Mm, Um, so you know being able to overlay another view yeah another another view Um, being able to help plot paths through various um, stages yeah yeah which is just it's just just one of those things that doesn't seem to be, um, you know, clearly articulated as one of the value adds in financial planning. Yeah, and it can be hard to articulate. I think you you met with with a person earlier in the week who was very very focused on the short term <laughs> around a particular sum of money, and I yep. think you found it hard to break through there, which is fine. Like you know, you can't help everyone. No, um, but. For those that do engage, you know, who are open, who want, yeah. to, who want to share goals and dreams and, and actually buy in, yeah. the long-term um, results and, and value is Proofs, there. proofs in the pudding right yeah. there. Nice one. Great wins. Okay. Um, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the most complained about financial companies. That's interesting. Um, we're going to talk about... A it's super, not us. <laughs> a super fund that's um, got in trouble. Yep. Um, the fact that active, active management is apparently regaining prominence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, yeah. so that active bit. And if we have time, I'll have a bit of a moan because it seems to be a bit of a moaning, um, moaning episode, this one. <laughs> about all these poor behaviours. Um, I'll have a bit of a moan about gold yep, at the end. I like right. that. Okay. So tell us um, tell us about uh, what was there, a report or something done around yeah, um, I mean, I think, financial complaints? Yeah, the, the Financial Complaints Authority, AFCA, um, have released their 2023 financial year uh, complaints. Mm-hmm. Um, and the company sitting at the top there mm-hmm. is Australian Super uh, coupled with their group life insurance company that they outsource to being Tal. Right. Um, so when you say group life, so if you are with Australian Super and you've got life insurance yep. in your Super, then it's actually Tal that provides a life C- insurance. Correct, yep. yeah, yeah. Okay. So there's yep. often often a, a larger provider behind that insurance with, with your Super fund. Mm-hmm. So there you go. So Australian Super's complaints are up 127% um, during the 2023 financial year compared to the same period. Okay. Um, Proceeding, that's, that's so a big increase. <laughs> it is a big increase, mm-hmm. but you know, it, hey, look, look, you know, and, and they ran through. There's a whole list, you know, mm-hmm. who, who's sitting where mm-hmm. per customer, compl- per member complaint, and mm-hmm. and Australian Super are reasonably high up there still. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do have to remember, I think they're the largest super fund in Australia, mm-hmm. um, and you know, it is. It is important to understand what's going on out there. So, you know, if people aren't delivering, you know, if the product isn't delivering, um, you know, it is important that the consumer or potential consumer is aware of some of the problems in that product. Mm. Um, 
you and I know in our day jobs, no pro- product provider is perfect. Oh, yeah, um, you no, know, and, and, and why is that? Well, quite often there are human beings sitting behind the product. Yeah. Um, so if you want to make a withdrawal from you're retired, you want to make withdrawal yep. from your Australian super, mm-hmm. then generally speaking, there's a human that has to do that. And large companies who are growing, like Australian super, tend to find it hard to get people. Yeah. Because there's a demand for them. Yeah. So, you know, training and knowledge of the people. And then they also tend to not invest enough in their systems um, to enable <coughs> things to happen quickly yeah. and efficiently. And, and, you know, they are big businesses mm. and, you know, quite often the communi- there's a layer of communication breakdown that's fairly evident, you mm. know, when we're using them. Mm. Um, so, you know, we're not, we're not slandering Australian super no, by any... By because, any... Yeah, as you said, we know that other providers um, are sometimes pretty poor with client service too. Yeah. yeah. And and it isn't it, you know, so if you're the largest super fund, mm. the squeaky wheel's gonna get the oil, mm. isn't it? Yeah, you yeah. know, so, so you would expect probably that Australian super would have the, the largest, most most complaints. Exa- that's exactly uh, right. Because they know. are that much larger than Yeah, else. yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Now <laughs> now now they're a their group life insurer, mm-hmm. Tal. Yes. <laughs> who I've had first-hand experience with, um, you know, assisting and managing people with claims can certainly be um, can can certainly um, conjure up questionable um, tactics at mm-hmm. the group level, and and I just want to reiterate that group insurance or superannuation through a super superannuation fund is very different to life insurance you might have directly taken out with mm-hmm. Tal. Yeah. Um, so again. Also, in our day jobs, we use products like them. Um, but, yeah, at the group level, there can often be a disconnect um, with the insurer and the life insured, I think. Yeah, and the they sort of, the yeah, claim. the yeah, person yeah. making the claim. And I think that they can quite often, you know, be a bit insensitive to that. That, mm. that, that They're my observation. So, you know, if there's complaints <laughs> leveled against some of these group life insurers, I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're in... Um, you know, there's there's good reasons for for, for some of them, but yeah. I wanted to, you know. So so we've got the, we've got product providers here receiving complaints, yeah. and it's easy to go, okay, well, Australian Super and Tal have lots of complaints. Mm-hmm. You know, they must be bad, um, but financial pro- products are regulated. Yeah. So that's why we know that there have been complaints that, because there's a regulator there. There's that's a re- monitoring. There's, there's yeah. exactly right. There's a regulator monitoring them. There's an obligate a legal obligation to report them. Yeah. Um, so you know there's a number of layers that puts these product providers on radars and then yeah. subsequently onto you know sometimes becoming sort of a political handball as well. Yeah, um, but it, that then enables them. To fix the problems too, doesn't it? So, you know, so exactly. transparency around complaints yeah, and, yeah. and expectations around what they should be providing. Exa- so that's a great thing, isn't it? So it might on the uh, uh, off off the top seem that it's a bad thing that there are all these complaints. Yeah. But you flip that around, and it's actually a good thing to know that there have been, so that the company can take some action yeah. on it and yeah, be yeah. Be, um, be accountable. Now, would that happen if you were investing in crypto? I would uh, say no. <laughs> I don't think there is a regulatory authority. Mm, no, I don't know. Does ASIC come in there somewhere or get around unconscionable behaviour or something like that? Who yeah, knows? But but, but, but but definitely not. But there's not a, there's not there's not the level of reporting um, 
and oversight and insight into complaints that would be associated with cryptocurrencies. What if you were a gullible investor and you got um, tricked into investing in a couple of few properties um, that were of questionable value by a property spruker. Again, How did, do you think there'd be a big complaints no, process mechanism? Yeah, there? well, again, there's not, there actually isn't a complaints mm. mechanism mm. Um, and, the, and there isn't a clear way to understand what is unfolding in those types of industries. So, so mm. remember, we can pull that thread a bit and there's mm. all these other things, you know, you might say, oh, yeah, Talon Australian Super, you know, naughty, naughty, you guys are terrible, mm. you know, and people might deduce, oh, that I won't use, use them, but mm. You know, if you boil that down and go, okay, well, what's underneath that? If, you know, am I going to go and use cryptocurrency? I'm not suggesting that anyone does that. I'm just using this as an, as an example. Or I'm going to go and buy some off-the-plan property. Well, remember, you know, all the terrible mistakes and terrible behaviours and, you know, mm-hmm. terrible things that have happened to those those um, asset classes, um, not that I'm called crypto an asset, mm-hmm. um, you know, are not obvious to the public. Mm-hmm. And that is a very important distinction to make. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we've... we've We've got the most complained financial companies, but there'd be lots of other uh, complained about financial things, yeah, I guess, or that, that you know, don't ever get registered, don't ever, yeah. uh, don't ever get registered or mm. can't be compiled properly to mm. even allow consumers to make correct decisions. Mm. Um, so yeah, interesting. Thought I'd cover that. So uh, there you go, complaints. Um, another super fund <laughs> has been in trouble with ASIC. Um, who's that? Hester. Which, Hester. Health, what health employee, health superannua- and health trust. Health and employee superannuation trust Australia or something. Hester. Yeah. Hester. Mm-hmm. Um, what have they been doing? Uh, well, apparently. Could, apparently you, could you say they've been fudging the numbers? Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I saw that and I mean. Yeah, but they've, been, they've, been, they've been wrapped over the knuckles by ASIC and it is, it is a very, very light wrap over the knuckles. Mm. In fact, I would say... Someone ASIC has grabbed a feather and glided it across the uh, the back of Hester's hand yeah, yeah. rather than wrapping their knuckles yeah, because yeah. they have been hit, hit with some infringement notices mm-hmm. um, and they've paid a massive forty eight thousand six hundred dollars in fines um, for those infringements, yeah. which to Hester would be would basically be you know. A round of coffee for their head office, you know, or some arm, arm chairs or something <laughs> yeah, like that yeah, for, their, for their for their board of direct yeah. for their directors. Yeah, um, and it was basically what was it about? It was about them misrepresenting or misleading um, the public about their returns of their balanced growth yes. investment option. I think over ten years. Yeah, um, so, I'll, saying I'll it say their ten-year performance figures. Ten-year ten yeah, performance yeah, figures, yeah, but yeah. but but when they are advertising them, they're up to fourteen months out of date. Out of date, yeah. So <laughs> they go out to Instagram and Facebook and whatever other avenues they have, mm-hmm. and they say our return over the past ten years mm-hmm. is X amount. Yep. Um, but they don't tell anyone what period that actual period that related to. When mm-hmm. did the ten years end? All right, yep. and. They were actually, as you said, uh, presenting information that was out of date substantially, yep. which made the figures look far better than they actually were against competitors. Yeah. yeah. So, so you and I used a word um, the other day, uh, gr- grossly, grossly negligent. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Now, 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 if we look at this, the figures that are 14 months old actually nicely coincide with, you know, yeah. uh, what yeah. preceded one of the largest and quickest increase in interest rates in, you know, yeah. developed <laughs> Western economies. Yeah. So what happened? Reasonably large corrections in equity markets. So that they, they literally have cherry-picked... Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> the, yeah, the, the best performance... Yeah. Um, yeah, and then presented it as being, well, essentially as being current. And that's just not on. Yeah. yeah. And we, we, we know it's hard enough as it is to compare current performance of super funds because the information that they provide is usually dated. And I often have conversations with potential new clients and they mm. say, I want to use Hester because its return was 8%. Well, when was its return 8%? <laughs> it, For what period, you know? So, 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 Steve, between the 9th of December 2022 and the 18th of July 2023, which is my birthday. Happy birthday. Um, <laughs> thanks, mate. Esther said that the performance figures for their balanced growth um, option over 10 years were right up to today, and that was published on their website via a webinar. Now, we know that right up to today was actually 14 months out of date. Um, yeah, it's yeah, not, yeah. not quite... It, it sort of the mind boggles a little bit. And, and they're interjecting a lot of this information into, you know, TikToks, Instagrams, Facebooks, so social media networks mm. where, you know, they've all, almost arguably got an additional layer of responsibility to make sure that what they're marketing, mm. um, you know, is accurate information. What really annoys me, so the fine is $48,000. So mm. that, that, that's, that's um, as you pointed out, a drop in the ocean. Mm. But if it was substantial... It's actually the members that are paying yeah. pay, paying for this, it, and and it, the members are paying for that forty eight thousand yeah. dollars. It's actually not the marketing manager or the compliance manager's money, no. um, and I think they should actually all be you know on understanding and on the hook for it, and also explaining whether they've got their money invested in Hester or not. Mm. Um, you know, it'd be yeah, I'd be, be interesting it'd be to interesting say, to understand if you know you go yeah. to go to that layer of obligation, but you know. The members are paying for these big fines done, you know, and the corporate misconduct almost is being, you know, um, you know, occurring at the at you know uh, the corporate you know mm. level or the executive level of these businesses, and there's no responsibility. Yeah, it's, it's just it's just it's actually very, just ridiculous. Very unconscionable. Well, I would imagine that if a small local business did that, um, that the um, the rap over the knuckles would be very severe. Oh, um, it's just. Now, it was noted um, by ASIC that an infringement notice is not an admission of liability. Mm -hmm. Um, And Hester did say that they understand that um, the news would be as disappointing for their members as it is for them, um, especially given the high standards to which Hester holds itself apparently now. Yeah, and Um, so we've since... So Hester have said, we've since improved our internal processes and strengthened our controls. Well... What's that got to do with anything? Mm-hmm. You've you've no, nothing to do with internal. You've marketed externally mm. incorrect publications around performance. So I don't know. I don't yeah, even know. And and it doesn't create confidence. You know, it's as I said, it's hard enough as it is to actually get real comparable performance figures yep. from from super funds, the, uh, industry super funds especially. We, um, yeah, we know now, that. Yeah, now. 
the thing we'll get off this in a second. No, 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 the no, thing it's that right. Ben gets my goat is for I don't know how many years now, it's probably been twenty years, the compare the pair super fun mm-hmm. campaign on TV and there used to be in the papers where you know they hold their hand in those silly that position say I want yeah. one of these funds. I'm an... Well in my eyes, that's a misleading campaign. Yeah. Um, but ASIC has let it go on for 15, 20, 30, I don't know how long it's been going on. Um, and the amount of funds that have moved into the industry super funds as a result of that campaign is ridiculous. Um, yeah. Yet, yeah. At, the, at its core, it is a misleading statement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the irony, yeah, so it's misleading. You and I know how hard it is to actually get up-to-date performance figures with a lot of these industry super funds. And and not only industry mm-hmm. super funds, there are some yeah, retail right. ones yeah. that, are, that, are, that are atrociously out, out of date as well. Um, but, you know, how, how, does it, how, does a, how does a person make a reasonable comparison? Mm-hmm. Like, how, how, does it, how does a person make a yeah. reasonable comparison of products? That's right. And that's why it is very, very important that the players in the market, superannuation fund market, mm. act conscionably and don't mislead. It's yeah. a, almost their responsibility to ensure that a consumer yeah. can make an informed decision. It's kind of, kind of funny that they have to cherry pick their performance when they hold up large amounts and swaths of unlisted assets where mm. they basically get to cherry, fund, cherry pick the there's prices. There's one fund at the moment that's out there um, spruiking its 38-year performance <laughs> because they probably couldn't find a you know, 10-year performance figure that's that suited. Suited, yeah, suited. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, anyway. What do you do? Let's move on. Um, I can feel myself getting worked up. <laughs> so, I, um, I thought, so we talked about Hester mm. and, you know, you and I talk about, um, you know, active management, passive management, you know, mm. index funds. We quite often do that. Now, I saw an article on... Um, on you know one of uh, you know one of the sorry tap the table one of the publications that comes through to our emails uh, in our financial planning day job inboxes, mm-hmm. and the title was active management regains market prominence. Mm, okay, what does that mean? Good question. Mm. Well, what it means is that two was active a, was there an active manager that was interviewed? For that? <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, it was yeah. it was two <laughs> it was two two uh, executives at an active management company. Mm. Um, yeah. Explaining that active ma- management is important. Is in it, am I just being cynical, or is it? Yeah. Would, would you expect an active manager to spruik active management? Would it be bizarre of them mm. to suggest? Mm. You know, otherwise, wouldn't it? Well, mm. I mean, what are they incentive incentivised to do? So, yeah. so apparently, everyone, just so we're out there, and I am being extremely sarcastic because of the current market environment. So, I'm imagining wars, interest rates. Um, you know, movements into, you know, structural themes around decarbonisation and deglobalisation, a shift in world political order. Many forces are colliding that makes the world a very difficult place to interpret. So hence, you've got your magical magic um, active manager who's going to... can interpret. Yeah, who, yeah, who can interpret all these things because, you know, they are geniuses. <laughs> I keep tapping the table. Um, <laughs> so You're agitated. I, I am a little bit agitated. Now... I just wanted to reiterate that that's just all codwash. Um, uh, we don't even we don't even need to give it airtime. Um, and I'm going to reiterate a couple of things through some evidence based uh, exercises that have occurred over the years. So we've spoken about it before. It was the Buffett bet, so the Warren Buffett bet against active management mm-hmm. versus the index. So he put a million dollars on the table in 2007. 
a very volatile time, if I recall back to equity markets, weren't, weren't banks failing and, mm-hmm. you know, um, there was a global financial crisis and, yep. you know, I think Everything. there was the Everything. Iraq war, mm-hmm. Afghanistan war. Um, lots going on, yeah. Volatile, mm-hmm. maybe. Much. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he... <laughs> So he put a bet against the active managers who could obviously wade through all the um, mm. pl- the disruptions um, occurring at that point in time over 10 years to say that a, a standard index fund or an S&P 500 index fund would beat um, the best selected active managers in aggregate. And, hey, what a surprise. Over, I think it was, I think it was over the 10-year period, um, the Buffett investment was close to 130% higher than the aggregate okay. um, active, active mm-hmm. managers that were cherry-picked. So mm. it might, might, actually be, might actually be higher than that. I'm just trying to see my show notes. Um, now, active managers um, and, and people who are proponents of active portfolios can sometimes get short-term wins. So they might they might outperform an index in a year, sometimes. Um, but your point is that they would rarely um, outperform yep. over the course of a longer the, period of time. The, the, yeah, and the other thing is as well, so, you know, I would probably hear people say, yeah, that's fine, Luke, the S&P 500, you know, the US market's a more efficient market, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You know, of course, the index fund's going to perform better over there. Well, closer to home, BetaShares did a um, study um, of large passive... Uh, sorry, and BetaShares is a large passive fund manager, mm-hmm. um, and they were able to conclusively draw that four out of five active funds failed to beat their respective benchmarks over 10-year periods in Australia. So um, what's a benchmark? <laughs> ben- so is that, is that where the, the fund, fund manager says, we are going to beat this particular performance of, of a yep. of a imaginary um, or not even imaginary um, of of another investment right? yeah so yeah that, t- t- typically typically you know you'll see that good ones will use a large diversified um, index fund like the S&P 500 mm-hmm. or the ASX 300 or the mm-hmm. all ordinaries with mm-hmm. dividends reinvested um, as their comparative benchmark mm-hmm. um so what they are then saying is is that we are a fund manager that should hopefully be delivering better than what you would have got if you stuck your money in an index fund and did yep. nothing. But, um, but there are plenty of funds that don't do that. I've actually seen a share fund yeah. have its, um, its benchmark mm-hmm. being the cash rate. So the mind boggles. So my share fund that, you know, is high in fees and, mm. you know, poor performing, does a little bit better than cash. Yeah, hey, yeah. I've performed really well. I've, mm. you know, I'll, I'll collect all my management performance And I've fees. also seen where they've had um, uh, yeah, performance fees where they actually get an uplift in fees because yeah. they've beat the benchmark, which yeah. is actually should be beatable. You know, you know, yeah, so. and they construct it. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you could you could pull the thread even further and people will say, well, you know, of course that a small cap manager or a small cap um, stock manager should have a small cap index as their, mm-hmm. um, as their benchmark. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I quite often argue that, well, you know, why shouldn't it be a large cap one, even when they seem to be- beat it over large periods of times anyway? Like, why would you want to have 
the comparative index being undiversified, you know, um, highly concentrated in risk, um, you know, to me, it just doesn't doesn't even make sense. So, like, you've got to be just so careful at a financial management perspective to just really, really dig down and understand these things a bit better. But, um, yeah, so basically, locally, um, they've underperformed. Um, yeah, your point earlier, Steve. There are going to be some people who can perform over short periods of time. Yep, that that is that is fact. Um, and there are also probably some that can perform over time continually mm-hmm. in comparison to the index. But you know, as we as we have quite often said in the past, do you want to find the needle in the haystack? How do you know which one? Yeah, how do you know how do you know which one? Mm-hmm. And look at the market, darling. In, uh, fund managers, even locally, that have dropped off, you know, mm. their their pedestal because there's been key person risk, mm. and you know that there's just totally collapsed. So you could say, oh, well, they were a really good fund manager. Mm. Yeah, they were a really good fund manager, but look what's happened to them. Yeah. Um, and the index is actually the best ideas of all fund managers out there because mm. it is it is actually them. Mm. Who, who are making the buying decisions into those into those particular companies, companies to construct the index? Mm. <laughs> so, so, so it's it's remiss to say, oh, well, the index fund is just dumb mm-hmm. because it's actually all their brain power and aggregate being put towards it. Yeah, but you have to follow the money, and um, if they're being paid to pull together active funds, then they're going to promote them and. The spouse that they are better. Yeah, I, I just yeah. So I saw saw that. I won't name the investment managers. No. Um, I'm sure if they're listening, they'll know who they are. <laughs> I'm, jo- I'm joking. And hey, we, you and I, you and I know, you and I know some active managers out there, mm. and you know they do take this all in good stride. Like mm. they they do understand that there is a, a purpose for mm. you know some of their some of their um, allocations. But what, what I find is that. I think personally, for the vast majority of investors, um, to get exposure to share markets, mm-hmm. index funds are the way to go. Mm-hmm. Vast majority. But then I find that there are actually people with money who like to pay the active manager and prepared to accept returns that long term may not be as good as the index because it makes them feel important. That is a human behaviour. But anyway, I think. We'll leave it there. We will. Yep. Um, we're, well, we're, not cover, we're not going to cover gold today, mate. We won't cover gold today. We've run out of time. All but right. uh, we'll put gold on the agenda for next fortnight. Good. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you. Make sure you share us. Um, what, do you, what do you do? Leave a comment. Um, sh- what, like it. Like, star it. Review it. it yeah, all yep. that sort of stuff. Um, and uh, mention us to your friends. Grow the movement. Yep. The Money Men movement. See you in a fortnight. See you later. Bye.